Welcome back to the Asia Healthcare Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Chan. You can find me on Twitter at jchanpharma. So in this episode, we are exploring the venture capital side of healthcare and biotech investing. And to help us better understand this side of the industry, I spoke to Simone Song, founder and senior partner of Ori Capital, a venture capital fund established here in Hong Kong in 2015. The fund focuses on investing in innovative companies in the healthcare industry. Here is my conversation with Simone. Hi, Simone. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. So I'm really excited to have you on the show to share about Ori Capital and investing from the private side. It's an area that doesn't get as much attention in the media as the public side. So I'm looking forward to learning a lot from you uh, about the private equity side. So thanks for being here today. You're welcome. So yeah, in this episode, we'll cover what venture capital investing looks like in the healthcare and biotech sector. Uh, we want to dive into why you started Ori Capital and the fund's investing approach and philosophy. And uh, finally, what we need to know about the direction and the trend of the healthcare sector and how investing will play a role in the future. So before we dive uh, right into Ori Capital. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, um, your background, and how that brought you into the healthcare sector? Okay. Um, I was born and raised in Shanghai. I went to college in Shanghai, went to Fudan University to basically study economics. And uh, as many people at my age then, we went to the United States um, to do my uh, master's. Um, again, I, I did my master's in economics. And then in the early 90s, in the middle of the 90s, I came back to Hong Kong to join uh, JP Morgan. Then I there I started my uh, investment banking career. And I pretty much stayed with that, except in the, I took uh, about eight, eight years in between to work in China in the Baltic um, area. And then I returned to, to, to the banking um, career. And before I started uh, Ori Capital, I was the managing director of Goldman Asia, responsible for Goldman's invest, uh, investment banking activities in healthcare here. So that is um, who I am. And the reason I started Ori Capital was um, I was I was uh, uh, I was working with Goldman as the managing director for. For healthcare banking, it was a, a, a very rewarding time. One day um, in 2015, I uh, underwent a uh, colonoscopy, and I was told that uh, I needed operation. <laughs> they needed to cut off 15 inches of my intestine uh, because there was a tumor. So post the uh, surgery, um, the doctor told me that uh, by visual, he felt the tumor was benign, but he, we wouldn't know until the biopsy report um, come back to, to, to let us know exactly whether it's tumor or cancer. So I was uh, lying in the hospital bed waiting for the result to come back. And something just hit me that um, if um, the result came back to be benign, I should spend the rest of my life uh, supporting innovative companies to better battle larger diseases like uh, cancer and also other acute, uh, acute conditions caused by metabolic disorder, 
or neurodegenerative diseases. These are the, the three biggest diseases that humans face. So somehow I made the decision then that I should leave banking, that, mm. um, you know, to start a, a venture capital fund to support young innovative companies by using my uh, financial knowledges, by using my uh, management knowledges. So that's how uh, Hori Capital came about. And the reason to be in venture capital versus venture capital versus later stage type of investment is because, you know, personally, I prefer technology. I want to start um, supporting um, early stage companies that um, have cutting edge technologies that can potentially make a very big impact. You know, the reason for me to be very fascinated by technology is because my father is a member of the Cat Science Academy in China. He is a, a very renowned scientist um, slash, entre- slash entrepreneur in the uh, immuno-oncology area. And my mother is also a very senior scientist, spent all her life working at Shanghai First Medical School. And she is very also very, very much on the cutting edge. So that is part of my gene. You know, if I want to be involved in, in early stage uh, healthcare technology, that's what I prefer to do. Wow. So it sounds like, um, you know, it comes from a place of first of your family background and how your parents are uh, very much into science and technology and also um, from a very personal experience of... Yeah, um, very personal. Yeah. And I can totally relate to that because uh, earlier this year, I also got sick and I was in the hospital as well for mm-hmm. about a month. And when you're just lying in the hospital, you start thinking of like, the meaning of life and how can you um, contribute to society more and a lot, lot of uh, reflection that goes on uh, when you're lying and uh, thinking about yes. you know health and stuff. So definitely really meaningful how you started Ori Capital. So can you explain what is Ori Capital and um, you know where the name comes from and what is the mission for the fund? Okay, uh, let me start with the name Ori O I I. It is a representation or a statement that uh, we want to support original technology. That is the reason behind uh, uh, the name, original meaning innovative. Mm. The mission of the fund is the same as the decision I made when I was in the hospital, that we will focus on the three largest diseases. Our mission is to battle these three largest diseases by supporting innovative companies globally. And uh, in terms of investment strategy, we are like, we are a venture capital fund. So we prefer to invest in early stage companies and we are uh, stage agnostic, geography agnostic. In terms of stage, we can invest very early to the point that we can, you know, incubate a company with scientific founders and, uh, or we can invest um, in, into later stage company, as long as we believe that the disruptiveness of the technology will be recognized and there's still growth uh, in the company, both in, in corporate growth and in terms of variation. Hmm, yeah, that was one of my um, other questions. I was wondering if you can explain what the typical path that, say, an entrepreneur with a good idea would take from you know being a startup uh, all the way to public company and mm-hmm. all the usual steps that might take place in between uh, all the investing stages. And if you can explain to some of our listeners who might not be familiar with the process and also where does Ori Capital usually operate along this journey? What Ori Capital doesn't do is to invest in basic science. 
So we're not a uh, we're not NIH, we're not Academy of Science in China. So um, we don't invest in in, in ideas or, or in companies that that we don't believe that the basic science is done. So we invest in companies whose technology is ready to be translated into a product. When we talk about therapeutics, as early as a discovery, discovery meaning that the technology platform is there and a specific drug is to be, the idea of the drug is being tested in different animal models. And that is the period we call discovery. And moving on, we, you know, before you can test the therapeutics in human, you have to go through a stage, what we call enabling. Enabling meaning to enable your discovery asset through the preparation of um, FDA IND approval. IND meaning the permit for you to start a human clinical trial. So when you believe all the animal models are done, before you can test in human, you need to get the permit from FDA, from approving authorities. And this period is called, you know, asset enabling. Mm. And then you start the human clinical trial from phase one, phase two, all the way to phase three. Usually a startup company will start at late discovery stage. This is the time that basic research is done, the idea of innovation, technological innovations here, and then this idea is being uh, tested, turned into a specific a therapeutic idea, and this exercise is being tested in animal models. Usually, this is entrepreneur will go to the market for funding. But there's a long way to go. Then, as I said, from there, you need to go through the uh, IND enabling phase, then you get your IND. Then from there, you start phase one, two, three trial. So a trial, the, uh, the completion of the human clinical trial can vary from anywhere from five years to 10 years, cost from a hundred million to a billion dollars. So you can see that um, typically uh, series A start at the late discovery stage, series B start at the enabling stage, and then Series C will, will go to go to support uh, human clinical trial. And most of the startup companies don't have the capacity to complete phase three because phase three is the size of the trial is very large. And the uh, cost associated with uh, phase three is also very huge. So the company could do two things. A, to partner with a, uh, a large farmer who can absorb the uh, human clinical trial expenses and therefore take, you know, a big piece of the, the, the future revenue. Or the uh, company can choose to sell its company to a, uh, a large farmer. So the division of labor now is very clear that the small company, innovative companies innovate and large pharmaceutical companies acquire and engage in further marketing and sales. So we can invest, typically invest um, as early as at the discovery stage or at the human clinical stage. And our preferred exit is to be for the whole company to be sold to a large farmer. Because I believe that um, sales and marketing is a is a very different skill set and it's also very costing. It's probably better for large pharmaceutical companies who have already existing uh, sales and marketing infrastructure to bring the drug closer or faster to patients. Hmm, interesting. So with so many startups and ideas and technology and innovation, there is so much potential out there in the healthcare and biotech ecosystem. But at the same time, capital is always finite and 
um, for a fund to be you know smart about where they put their capital, you need to pick and choose companies uh, and you know back the ones that you think have realistic potential to um, make a social impact. Um, so how do you decide on what companies to invest in apart from what you just mentioned, which is to focus on the, I guess, the three larger diseases mm-hmm. with a heavy burden? Are there other things that you consider? To focus on three largest diseases, is, it is something that we, we need to um, adhere um, in order to reduce risk. Because you know uh, the resources of uh, of the families of the the manager is also finite. So uh, to reduce technology risk, I think it's important to focus. And uh, by focusing on three largest diseases, I think it's it's um, it's a very worthwhile idea. So we voluntarily narrow ourselves into these three major diseases. So we say goodbye to anything else on the healthcare value chain. For example, healthcare value chain is so big, so long. It could start from payer, insurance companies, and all healthcare IT companies associated with insurance. Or healthcare providers could be hospitals, uh, um, um, clinics, um, managed care, all sorts. If you look at the healthcare provider space, it's it's so well defined and it's there are a lot of subsectors, but we are not focused on provider. We were not focused on, on payer. We focus on uh, therapeutics. We focus on therapeutics, uh, diagnostics, and drug delivery. These are our three key modalities that we will deploy to manage the three diseases we chose. So this is the matrix of our focus. We focus on three diseases. We use three main modalities. And when we look at the therapeutics, we believe to combat the three horrendous diseases we talked about, there are about 20 to 25 key scientific approaches. Some of the approaches can be shared when, you know, when trying to defeat these three diseases. So out of the 20 to 25, we choose, we voluntarily, or we subjectively, (laughs) not voluntarily, we subjectively choose based on our understanding 10 scientific approaches to focus. So it's a very sort of linear process, three diseases, three key modalities, and 10 approaches. Then we dive deep into these 10 approaches. Each approach could have different sub-approaches. So it is uh, required that we have to dive into each of the approaches. Not only to include the sub-approaches, we have to go down to each many of the uh, drug potential therapeutic drug targets, you know, to deal with these three diseases, there are anywhere from two to 3,000 targets. That is why we developed our own AI research platform so that we we have the capacity to monitor 15,000 companies and uh, um, we have the capacity to drill down to two to 3,000 drug targets these are the, the backbone that will help us form a calculated investment decision. So aside from the, the, the amount of companies we, we follow, aside from the drug targets we drill down to, we also follow the movement of the publications of um, thousands of key opinion leaders who are relevant to our 10 approaches. We mm-hmm. also monitor the movement of about a thousand investment managers. So being a, a VC manager investing into very early stage companies, 
the first thing we need to do is to mitigate the technology risk as much as we can, because these risks can be binary. It could be zero or one. So we believe that we have to have we have to be able to develop a 20 feet view looking into each of the scientific approaches. There are 10 of them. We need to have a macro view. Then we need, need to be able to follow all, you know, as many potential companies that are private as possible to understand, you know, the challenges and the victories in the process of translating a technology into a potentially su- successful therapeutics. Mm. It is about data. It's your ability to assemble data that is useful to you and the ability to analyze the data that is useful to you. Hmm. And so you mentioned this is, I guess, part of the AI platform that helps you do most of the uh, filtering and narrowing down of potentially uh, good companies. So so Ori Capital developed this platform itself? Yes, it is. Because I'm the user, I think the, uh, the challenges of a lot of uh AI enhanced tools is that uh, it is it is developed by AI engineers. It is not developed by users. Um, mm. As a user, I patiently I have patiently been raising a child now is six years old. <laughs> well, that's really interesting. So you mentioned you have to de-risk in terms of all these companies and making sure that the AI platform helps you do part of the due diligence, right? In terms of filtering. Yeah, the the platform does several things. One is to help us always stay at the abreast of the technological development of the scientific approaches that we track, we follow. We talked about three diseases and 10 scientific approaches. So we have to have the ability to understand how each of the approach is evolving, the challenges each of the approaches is encountering. So the platform allows us to do that. Our scientists are always reviewing the uh, review papers that, that are relevant to, to, to their own, what we call scientific approaches. And they are reading the papers from key opinion leaders of each of the runways or each of the scientific approaches. So we're doing, we do keep an eye on how the approach is evolving itself. So that is how you try to mitigate the, uh, and we understand for each of the approaches, we understand who the leading scientists and who the leading um, clinical investigators are. So not only you read, you need to work with very smart minds that are at the cutting edge in all of these uh, scientific runways. Mm. So that's how you mitigate the technology risk. If we do not have a very granular view of each of the scientific um, approaches, we won't be able to calculate or form a investment view of specific companies we look at. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So as a follow-up question, if the AI platform helps you gather all the intelligence, all the data and the research, how much does the, I guess, human face-to-face meetings with companies come into play? I guess before COVID, this is not as much of an issue because there are lots of meetings going on, uh, sales pitches and things like that. But now that we're in this kind of pandemic uh, situation, how much does Ori Capital emphasize perhaps meeting the the, the founder of these startups and um, just to get a feel of who these people are and what their their plan for, you know, growing their 
platform and their technology and products? You know, the uh, understanding the science or technology is, is, is one side. On the other hand, you know that the company starts with good science, but only succeeds with good management, mm-hmm. with good board, with good science advisory board, with good management team, execution team. So the our AI systems tracks down thousands of um, leading scientists and, and principal investigators. So that would give us a good starting point to see whether the potential companies qualify in terms of its human capital. Now, a lot of the startups are not qualified in that sense, but at least we know how to, you know, if we make the investment, we know how to help company grow by uh, introducing new qualified human capital into potential companies. So um, it is important that our AI system has the uh, data bank, the uh, uh, relevant scientists and the leading PIs and successful entrepreneurs, repeated entrepreneurs, so that uh, we we know uh, to whom we should source potential science advisory board members, potential board members, and potential management team. So we can't just rely on a headhunter. So it is very important when a decision is made as to whether we invest or not. And we need to look at what, what is the quality of the human capital now and what in the future, whether we can be, we can be helpful in helping the company grow in the sense of uh, having better players, both at the SAB level, at the board level, and at the management level. So that would give us a big picture. In terms of human-to-human interaction, you know, when you look at the therapeutics company, in addition to computer and human hands, there are not too many fixed assets. There could be a wet lab, could be a big lab or small lab. And most of the work, whether at the discovery stage or going forward, um, and also the manufacturing, they are all outsourced. Again, in, in the U.S., in U.K., now in China, the division of lab- labor is very clear. In the process of bringing therapeutics to market, it's very rare that uh, um, small innovative companies would build a large manufacturing facility. Mm-hmm. And uh, even at clinical trial phase, that we need C- clinical CIO to help us run the trials together. And at asset enabling stage, we need outside labs to help us conduct the toxicity studies and PKPD PD studies. So a lot of works are outsourced. So the company would have computer, human brains, and a wet lab. So face-to-face interaction is good, but it's not a must. You know, given COVID, we kind of believe that we can do away with ninety uh, percent of the in-person meetings. I think. <laughs> yeah. You know, I would prefer to be able to meet the entrepreneurs um, in person, but if I couldn't, I meet them through Zoom, and uh, we can have uh, one of our directors live in the United States. She can do some of the on-site visits, and also we can hire. Uh, you know, when it goes to deep diligence. On-site uh, diligence can be carried out by law firms, by accounting firms. Even they have on-site visits, we really will be visiting offices and labs. It really, what matters is their scientific publications, is you know, their scientific ideas and, and the data. It's really publication data and pattern and the, the plan to move forward. I see. So help me understand how involved are hedge funds or venture capital funds with the growth of the companies that they back? Because I imagine some funds are pretty hands-off. They just deploy their capital and let the 
the founder and the company run by itself. Whereas in other situations, they have advisors that will help the company and advise them in how they can continue to grow. So where does Ori Capital lie in terms of how involved you are? In the case of companies we incubate, of course, we are very involved, both at the board level and some of the, the managerial activities. But even in the case that we incubate, we have to find a CEO and, and you know, we call it CXO because this all does everything at the beginning stage. Because when a company was very young, you don't need to have a CEO, CFO, chief medical officer, chief scientific officer, et cetera, et cetera, because the company is still young. A lot of the functions are concentrated, could be concentrated to four or five people. And the CEO, what we call CEO, a CXO, <laughs> because, you know, you know, he, he um, not only he is a general manager who's, who oversees the overall operation, he also plays a role as chief scientific officer. And the company is young. We don't need a, a chief medical officer because we have not gone to the stage where human clinical trial um, has started. What uh, Ori Capital will do, even in the case that we um, incubate, we still need to find the right team to execute the day-to-day operation. But we are very, I mean, we talk to them a lot more. And uh, we, of course, um, govern the company from at the board level. For other companies that we, we are not incubating, meaning we don't have a controlling position, we are a shareholder, we exercise our governance right by having a board seat. Very unlikely that we will invest without a board seat. Mm. So as a board, you are stealing the company in all strategic matters. So for the companies we invested, we have changed the CEOs. And uh, we have, you know, changed the overall budget and we have sort of changed the clinical directions. You know, that is uh, different from the company we, we incubate. But um, even uh, we do not incubate, we have a minority position into the company. We are a very active board member. We're not going to um, sit there and then every three months we just meet. Even we don't incubate the, the companies we invest are all at rather early stage. So strategic uh, steering is needed by the board. I see. So with the remaining uh, few minutes we have left, I'd love to get your thoughts on where the industry is going. I think for many years, healthcare has been a sector that has somewhat eluded uh, a lot of investors' radar, at least you know, for retail investors. It, Maybe the barrier to entry is a little bit difficult for them to understand the sector. But, um, you know, in recent years, it's kind of shifted a little bit, in my own opinion, um, with the new listing rules of all these stock exchanges in, you know, in our region, allowing more healthcare companies to list. And, you know, with now the pandemic, that's brought a lot of attention to our sector and in healthcare. So, Simone, what are your thoughts about? where we are now for the sector and where do you see um, you know, healthcare investing heading in the future? I think that uh, the good news is that I think we are at the time that a lot of the basic, we have enough fruits from long period of uh, basic research study. So we are at a point where a lot of the results, good results of from basic research can be translated into potential um, therapeutics. Mm. So that is, uh, um, that is very positive. And the other positive thing is that uh, we have a lot of capital following the, the pandemic. Everybody wants to have exposure into, into uh, healthcare because 
we, we see how uh, COVID can do to us. So there is, there is a, a strong supply of capitals coming into our sector. But the degree of difficulty in investing in early stage uh, healthcare technology related companies is the same. It is as difficult as it is. Hmm. The amount of capital does not change that fact. The road trip to translating a technology into a practical product that can bring patient benefit is the same. It's as hard as it is. Mm-hmm. Does the, I guess, valuation aspect make your job more difficult? Because now that a lot of capital is flowing into you know, our sector, there's a lot of, I guess, competition. Because we, we, um, yeah, there are strange things I see that, uh, hedge funds going to, to the uh, early stage investment area, making a series A raise as a crossover and young companies are being put on the exchange at very early stage. I'm not sure whether this is good or bad because, you know, as young companies, you are bound to make mistakes. Hmm. And if you are a publicly traded company, the mistakes can be brought out of proportion and your shares can be short or even shares are not short, can be sold. And at the time you need to do a follow-on raising to support your continuous growth. Maybe your share price uh, prices are at the uh, lowest point possible, much lower than your IPO price. That would make the capital raising very difficult. But very few startup companies or young uh, innovative companies uh, have the, 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 the right insight, right insight looking to the activities of the capital market. So they are, at a, they are actually being put in a very vulnerable stage. May not be a good news mm. to young companies to go public so early. Mm. I think, as I said, the technological risk of translating an idea into a product remains the same. So the mistakes you will make, the challenges you will meet are all there. Going to market too early could put the company into a rather difficult situation when they are exposing to volatility, volatility too early. You know, when a boat is still small and young, going to the ocean, obviously it may not be a good idea. Hmm. So would your advice to small companies right now, you know, for the sake of seeing them succeed in whatever research and development that they're doing, for, you know, for all of mankind to improve our healthcare. Would your advice be to be more patient in terms of just coming to the public market? Yes, be more patient in finding the uh, long-term investors who are willing to grow with you. And when time's ready, go to the public market for, for, for funding, right? For further funding. I don't think going to market is, uh, is a way off for us to, to exit, it's probably not easy to exit through public market. I think for, for a VC fund like us, the realistic exit would be to for the companies to be acquired by large farmers mm. and who, who would pay a, a strategic premium, who would have the ability to understand uh, the risk and the future return. Mm. Okay, great. So, Simone, before I let you go, I'd love to know more about what Ori Capital is going to do in the next, say, 12 months. I mean, of course, you can't tell me everything, but <laughs> uh, do you have um, new companies that you're looking out for? or anything? Yeah, we, um, we will be, again, focusing on the three diseases. Um, in the uh, oncology area, we'll be looking to invest in companies who engage in cancer early detection. 
because cancer cells are what I call AI cells. They, they're too smart. So mm. it is important that um, we will be able to catch them early on. So the, we will be looking actively in the uh, cancer early detection space. Mm, great. So if there are any you know, potential companies listening, you know, how mm-hmm. do they get in touch with you or Ori Capital? Actually, on this note, do, do people approach you or is it like the other way around? You know that uh, we have an AI system that tracks the movement of our early stage companies. So most likely, our you know if the company is is, um, is off substance, the platform, the AI platform will catch them. <laughs> but at the same time, you know people approach us through emails, through introduction of friends. But we still have to looking. We still have to adhere to our investment principle. Whether they are in a focused disease area, whether they fall into the, the, the 10 scientific approaches we focus, then we would have to put them through a very rigorous uh, selection process. Hmm. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Simone, for your time and you know teaching us. Um, no, not teaching. It's just sharing some of my thoughts. Thank you <laughs> for giving me the opportunity to speak to you. Oh, great. Yeah, thanks so much, Simone. And, uh, you know, hopefully... One of these days, I can come by, say hi, and oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, you are in Hong Kong. Yeah, please, you are most welcome. Great, thank you so much, listeners. That is the show for today. If you want to support the show, then make sure to like and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're on Apple or Google Podcasts, give us a five star rating and a review. That would really help us here. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at jchanpharma and feel free to email me at asiahealthcarepodcast at gmail.com. See you in the next one. There's a man in China holding his wife's hand But it was not always this way Cause once upon a time he wandered all Felt awkward and insecure as they pulled the toe down. I don't wanna be the subject of your TV show. So in TV, I will.
There has got to be 